Hello, 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 and good evening, my friends. Welcome to the brand new adventures of Amos and Andy. <laughs> Happy belated April Fool's Day. <laughs> yeah, I'm a nut. Welcome to another brand new episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I am your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and tonight's episode is called Toxic Love. (laughs) And boy, is that an understatement. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are Escape and The Key, which was a 1950 Australian mystery series. Our first radio play is entitled How Love Came to Professor Gilia. And that was first broadcasted on Escape on February 22nd, 1948, followed by the radio play The Deception, and that was first broadcasted on the key sometime in 1956. So, you all know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to How Love Came to Professor Gildia. Worried about income tax? Wonder if spring will ever come? Want to get away from it all? We offer you escape. You were alone in your book-lined study, listening to the idiot gibberings of a parrot, and beside you, caressing you is an invisible thing, a loathsome thing, from which you must... Escape. Escape. Produced by William N. Robeson and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Today, we escape to the west end of London to a little house just off Hyde Park where lived a man who didn't like people. Today we escape in the remarkable tale of Robert Hitchens, How Love Came to Professor Gildia. It has been said that no night ever passes over London town that sees not some strange and curious event, some occurrence too incredible to bear repeating in the light of day. How horribly true are those words. It's been over a year now since the night I first met the amazing Professor Gildia. I had delivered a sermon at the rectory of St. Swithin in the East End, and was passing through the foyer in departure when I was accosted brusquely by an odd little man 
Remarkably sharp featured, his face adorned by a pointed black goatee. Moment, please. I believe you're Father Murchison? Yes, that's right, but I don't think I've had the pleasure Perhaps of... Perhaps you've heard of me. My name's Gildia, Professor Gildia. Gildia? Why, yes, you're the famous psychologist. Yes, yes, psychologist, biologist, anthropologist, philosopher, and that takes care of that. Sir, I never attend religious services. <laughs> it appears you've done so tonight. I came for one reason, to hear you. Find out why an otherwise normal colleague of mine thinks you're the most convincing speaker he's ever listened to. And did you find out? No, your talk was intelligent. Logical. Therefore, it could never convince anybody of anything. <laughs> Thank you. You're a direct man, Professor Gildia. No time to be anything else. I'd like to have you dine with me, Father Murchison. Say a week from tonight, 7 o'clock. I live at number 100 Hyde Park in the West End. Uh, can't we make it two weeks? Uh, I'm preaching at St. Saviour's that night, just round the corner from the park. And I'm afraid it'll have to be nearer 8.30 than 7. The service isn't over so early. Uh, we can't even agree on a time for dinner. Very well, 8.30, two weeks. Good night, sir. Perhaps if I had known then what I... haven't no matter. I kept the appointment, of course. After an excellent dinner, we climbed the stairs to Gildia's study. A large book-lined room running the width of the house, with windows at the end overlooking the park. In front of those windows stood the one incongruous thing in the room. A cage holding a large grey parrot. In fact... As I recall, it was the parrot that was responsible for my first becoming aware of what exact opposites Gildia and I really were. The same parrot that was responsible for so many other things that happened later. Quiet, Napoleon. One day that infernal squawking of yours will drive me to wring your neck. Somehow it surprises me, Gildia. I mean, you're keeping a parrot. Mm, I possess a parrot, Father Murchison, that's all. Made a study of the imitative faculties of animals some months ago. Bought the bird then, never got rid of it. I see. Started the bad habit of scratching the fool thing's head. It, it loves it, you see. <laughs> In five minutes, you'll be screaming for more of it. Why would it surprise you so much if I kept a pet? Because I believe you're the most self-sufficient man I ever met. <laughs> more than that, actually, I detest affection, any display of sentimentality. But you do feel the need of close human sympathy in your life? None whatsoever. A reasonable amount of companionship, naturally, but that's all. Father Murchison, I'm one person who does not love his fellow men. Nonetheless, some of your discoveries have been of great benefit to mankind. Entirely accidental. I thought you would be liking your coffee now, sir. Uh, yes, Pitting. Put it down on the table, please. Thank you, sir. Will there be anything else? Sir? No, that's all, Pitting. Yes, sir. <laughs> An excellent servant there. I know nothing of Pitting's thoughts or feelings, nor he of mine. Perfect relationship. And if a crisis occurred... If you needed to call on him as a friend. <laughs> would take a considerable crisis. What about the parrot? Surely you must regard it with some affection, otherwise you'd get rid of it. Napoleon? Merely a specimen. Birds as devoid of sentimentality as I am. He can only imitate whatever he sees and hears. Gildia, have you ever been in love? <laughs> Neither with anyone in particular, nor with love itself. Being in love, as you put it, or having someone in love with me would be the most monstrous and horrible situation I could possibly imagine. All of a sudden, I feel a very great sense of pity. For whom? For you. <coughs> Yet, as different as we were, my life dedicated to all humanity, and Gildia's life stripped of its own humanity, I called again at the house at Hyde Park many times, and we became friends. 
We talked away many evening hours in the months that followed, sitting by the book-covered table in the long study, the gray parrot chattering away in the background, with the lamplight barely reaching the farther corners. It was on such a night not long ago that the thing began. Gildia had seemed uncommonly nervous since dinner and had spent much of the time pacing in front of the windows that faced the park. How's it, Murchis, and I can't seem to relax tonight. I, uh... <laughs> I ever feel a completely unaccountable presentiment. A sense that something remarkable was about to happen. Oh, yes. Usually it never did. Turned out to be the effect of too much coffee. Oh, it's not that. Coffee doesn't bother me. Nothing does. Well, then suppose you stop pacing the floor and sit down. You're wearing me out. Noticed how well Napoleon's learned to imitate your voice? Yes, I have, and it's almost insulting at times. <laughs> the worst thing is feeling such a strong compulsion to do something which I know to be ridiculous. Exactly what is it you're talking about, Gildon? Well, it's foolish even to mention it, but uh, I wonder if you'd pardon me for a few minutes. Of course. Uh, help yourself to more coffee. I'll be right back. I walked over and stood stroking the feathers of the parrot through the bars of his cage. I'd grown rather fond of the ugly bird, but it always startled me to hear him mimic some phrase of mine or Gildia's. Napoleon, <laughs> you're a true creature of the devil. Creature devil, creature devil. I happened to glance out of the window toward the park across the street. The arc lamp at the corner threw a dim gleam across a bench set just inside the paling. And I was surprised to see Professor Gildia moving about the bench, peering under it, behind it, staring into the shadows nearby. He kept this up for some minutes, then crossed the street and came back toward the house. In a moment, I heard him ascending the stairs. Father Murchison, has anyone entered this room since I went out? I know. You mean pitting, of course. He hasn't been in. Strange. Very strange. I, uh, I saw you across the street in the park. What were you doing? I, uh, I, I thought I saw something, wondered what it was, that's all. Did you find out? No. What's wrong with a parrot? Never made a sound like that before. What do you mean? He seems all right. Napoleon, stop that. What was it you thought you saw? Nothing. As you said, most likely it was the coffee. Only I'm very much afraid that... Oh, no, no. In this day and age, it's impossible. I received a phone call in my quarters at the rectory. Father Murchison here. This is Pitting, sir. Professor Giltis, man. Oh, yes, Pitting. How are you? Very well, thank you, sir. The master would greatly appreciate your calling at the house this evening, if it's convenient, sir. Oh, anything wrong? I could not say, sir. But why didn't he phone himself? He isn't ill. I think not. He suggested eight o'clock, sir. May I tell him you'll come? Yes. Yes, by all means. Tell him I'll be there at eight. about the bush, Father Murchison. I am nervous. Of course I am. Plenty of reason for it. Oh, you're working too hard. Now I'm working too hard. The other night it was coffee. As a matter of fact, it's neither one. Ah! Be quiet, ah! Napoleon. Yeah. Maybe you'd better tell me just what is the matter, Gildia. Do you feel the presence in this room of anyone beside the two of us? Well, there's Napoleon, of course. No, no, I don't mean the parrot. He, he senses it too, though. Senses what? 
Well, you were here last week. I left the house for a few minutes, you remember? Yes. I'd been watching someone sitting on that bench across in the park, a shadowy sort of figure. I had to find out what it was. But you found nothing. You told me when you came back. That's right. But I'd left the front door open. When I came back in, I felt suddenly that someone or something had entered ahead of me. Oh, come now, really, Gildia. I knew also that they'd found their way to this room. But I was here all the time. No one came in. Father Murchison, whoever or whatever came into the house that night came into this room is still here right now. You, Gildia, a scientist. Yes. Ridiculous, isn't it? But it's true. I'm only able to feel its presence. Napoleon can see it. Look at him now. Now, wouldn't you say he was watching something over there in the far corner of the room? No, I, I'd say he's just being as foolish as a parrot usually is. You, a skeptic? About this, yes. You've been working too hard. You need a vacation. I haven't told you the worst part of it. Would you say that I'm an attractive man? Frankly, no. Oh, I suppose to a certain type of society woman, you might... No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Well, then, what are you talking about? I don't know whether this intruder is a woman, man, child, animal. But whatever it is, it, it holds a vast affection for me. What? Can you imagine anything so utterly monstrous, horrible? Murchison, the thing, is in love with me. I could not, would not accept Gildia's belief. And yet the alternative was even more frightful. For I could only decide that the long hours of study and lecturing had affected his mind, had brought him, in fact, to the verge of insanity. I persuaded him finally to get away for a while, leave the house, forget his professional problems, take a short trip. I accompanied him to Victoria Station, saw him off on the boat train, and then, caught up in my duties, I had little time to consider the strange affair for nearly ten days. Father Murchison here. I hope I haven't disturbed you. Professor Gildia, then you're back in London. Yes, I've been back for three days. Well, you should have called me. How was the trip? Quite pleasant. I took passage on a channel coaster. The sea air was wonderful. You weren't troubled on the trip? Oh, no. Not at all. It, it waited here for me. What? Then you mean to Could you it... come over here tonight? You mean now? Yes, if you could. You see, I can prove it to you now. Very well. I shall come right over. I stood there by the phone and shivered. The thing had become so real to him now that he felt he could go away and leave it, then come back and find it waiting for him. I didn't call you when I first came back. I wanted to be sure. So I've waited three days, and every day has been worse than the one before. In what way? What do you mean? I mean, the thing was waiting for me here. Glad I was back, fawned all over me. Ah, it was more insistently obnoxious all the time. Gildia, do you mean you've seen the thing? Heard no, it? no, I haven't seen it, haven't heard it, but I know it's here. I can feel it, sense it. Try to put it in words, and it becomes absurd. If you'd like some unsolicited advice... Call in a doctor. Have him look you over. And what doctor in London knows any more about the human mind than I do? I know, but when it's your own no, mind... No, no, no. You're thinking of hysteria, hallucination. I know all the symptoms. It's not that simple. Anyway, I told you I could prove it to you. You'll notice I've thrown a cover over Napoleon's cage. Yes, I've been wondering about it. Part of my proof. He's been here, you know, all the time I was gone, here in this room. Yes, but I... I want you to get behind those curtains with me. 
Then I'll reach out and pull the cloth off his cage. I don't want him to see us. I don't know what you're hoping to prove, but I... All right, come on. Ready? I'll uncover him. We crouched there behind the curtains, watching the parrot. He protested a while at being so rudely disturbed by some unseen agency, climbed about the cage with claws and beak, pecked at crumbs, appeared entirely normal. After a time, he began to fix his attention on a spot across the room. There was nothing there. Watch him. Look at him now. In the parrot's mind, at least, someone or something was approaching the cage. And yet, the room was empty. Whatever it was, apparently had reached the cage now. And Napoleon welcomed it with friendly chortling. The hairs rose on the back of my neck. For the bird was cooing and gurgling as he did when I or Gildia scratched the feathers on his head. I could almost fancy that I saw long, white, ghostly fingers reaching through the bars of the cage. Watch him. And listen to him. He's talking to the thing, imitating it. See what you think. The bird was moving about in the cage now, nodding his head in a very peculiar manner, uttering the most extraordinary sounds. I began to realize that he was imitating the thing he saw standing by his cage. And then the full horror of it came over me. I tried to hide the thought from Gildia, but... He'd already seen it in my eye. So you see it, too. That's all I wanted to know. And I wasn't imagining it. There's no point in hiding there any longer. That was my proof. But perhaps someone was here while you were gone. I've questioned Pitting and the cook. No one has been here. It can't be. Such a thing just can't be. Father Murchison, it is. Well, where? Where is it now? Can you tell me where it is? Not exactly. Somewhere in the room, not too far away. I can feel that. Napoleon, of course, can see it. There is some rational explanation, Gilia. There has to be. No whistling in the dark, Father. You recognize the same thing I did. I know what you mean, of course. I can't stand much more of it. There's only something I can fight, strike out at. I, I'm not a coward, but I can't see it, hear it. I can only feel it trying to touch me somehow, trying to get close to me, drooling with desire and affection, fondness for me. And I can't keep it away. It gets closer all the time. Gilia, you've got to get hold of yourself. Get hold of myself! You saw the way that parent imitated the thing, those mannerisms, that gibberish. You know what it means as well as I do. I saw it, but it can't possibly... Can't you feel how hideous it is for me? I can't stop it. The thing makes love to me, caresses me, and whatever it is, it has no mind. You saw that. That thing is a slobbering idiot. <laughs> I walked home at a late hour, trying desperately to think of some reasonable answer to the whole strange affair. I could not accept Gildia's explanation of the actions of the parrot, though the bird had produced an extraordinary illusion of an invisible presence in that room. In a day gone by, perhaps I might have been called in to deal with an evil spirit. I thought of retribution. Gildia had always borne an unnatural distaste for human love. Was he now being forced to endure the unnatural love of some monstrous being as punishment? I cast such thoughts away from me 
Yet I could not quite accept the only other reasonable solution, that my friend was insane. It was very late when I fell asleep. The following evening, I preached at Warwick Chapel and returned to my quarters about nine. I found that Pitting had called a short time before and left a rather puzzling message. Implore that you come to Hyde Park at once. Otherwise, I cannot answer for the consequences. But what is it you're trying to say, Pitting? He's not himself. In what way is he not himself? I can only suggest, sir, that you talk to him yourself. Here we are. I'll leave you now, sir. Oh, Murchison, come in. Well, dear, what in the name of heaven is wrong? Pitting said you'd been upset, but he didn't say anything. Uh, inhuman machine. What happened? What did he do? Nothing. That's just it. Nothing. But I don't see then you what know, you... Oh, you warned me about it once. You said I'd meet a crisis, need him as a friend, and he wouldn't be there. Well, it's happened. Look here. I'm going to call a doctor. I've never seen you in a state like this before. No, no, no. I don't need a doctor. I'm all right now. For a little while, anyway... At least I think I am. Then what was it? What happened? That thing touched me. Really touched me, I mean, for the first time. It's only been trying to before. The only way I can put it, it rubbed itself against my soul. It was horrible. Now, Gillia, you Don't got tell to... me you've I've got to help. Hold, get hold of myself. I know what I'm saying. I... I'm sorry. I... If you'd felt it yourself, you'd know what I mean. It was disgusting. Filthy. It lasted one more minute. I, I know I should have gone screaming mad. But you don't, you don't feel it now. No, not now. I lost my head. I guess it, I struck out with my fists. I tore at myself, screaming for help. Pitting came and thought I was drunk. But I could feel it touching me, sickening, soft, tender inside of me. But it left you then. You forced it away. Yes, it. It's still here in the room somewhere, but it hasn't tried to touch me again. Now, that settles it. Gilia, you're leaving here tonight. It didn't follow you when you took the trip before. It stayed here. That's one way you can be free of it. Then you believe in the thing, too. Believe it's real. It's real for you, and that's enough. Now, if I remember it, you're giving a lecture at Oxford the last of the week. You're going on up there now. I'll help you pack. I could do that. I could save the Grosvenor tonight, take a train in the morning. It's right near the station. Then it's all agreed. I'll get Wait. it. In... Wait. Look at Napoleon. Standing there by his cage. He's talking to it. Imitating it. Can you imagine what that thing must look like? Never mind. Let me help you start packing. But I didn't tell you what it really did this evening. What came closer to driving me insane. It doesn't matter. The thing kissed me, Murchison. But not from the outside. What? I could feel it. Warm and wet. Kissing my lips. From the inside. Gildia stayed at the hotel that night and caught the train out to Oxford the next morning. Four days later, I received a wire from him. I'm still feeling a bit shaky, but everything else is all right. No sign of any visitor. Why don't you try to come up for the lecture Friday night? And please get rid of Napoleon for me. Signed, Gildia. On sudden impulse, I decided to accept his invitation.
train was late, and I arrived at Oxford with only time enough to go directly to the seminar. I slid into my seat just as Gildia was introduced and began his talk. He was pale and perhaps a bit drawn, but seemed otherwise composed and in control of himself. As I sat there, my mind wandered away from his talk, seeking some solution for the horrible problem which I regarded as being as much my own as Gildia's. I decided I would try to persuade him to sell the house in Hyde Park Place, since his strange fixation seemed to be bound up with it. Try to find lodgings elsewhere. Some ten minutes passed when suddenly I noticed Gildia was becoming very nervous. He faltered in his talk, seemed to be confused. He stood there on the platform, deathly pale, his hands out as though pushing something away from him. I knew what was wrong. Pardon me. Pardon me, please. Could I get through? Uh, pardon me. Let me to him, please. Pardon me. I'm his friend. Gildia. Gildia, can you hear me? Father. Martinson. Yes. Everything's all right. It came here. Found me out. It rubbed up against me on the platform. It's no use. Take me back to London. We arrived back in London late the next afternoon. Gildia was a broken old man. He shivered continually, trembled as though shaken by a chill. He claimed to sense the awful presence of that thing always nearby us, accompanying us. And he was constantly terror-stricken, lest it might try to touch him again. I stayed with him in the house in Hyde Park. And as night drew on, we sat in the long, book-filled study on the second floor. Pitting brought coffee to us and then withdrew. We found little to talk about. And the silence of the room seemed doubly oppressive without the familiar chatter of the parrot in the background. What did you do with him, Murchison? Napoleon, I mean. I boarded him with a pet shop in Shaftesbury Avenue. I thought you might want him back again after you'd reconsidered. No, 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 no. I don't want him back. You still can't feel its presence, can you? No, Gildia. I'm afraid I can't. Mr. Heaven, I couldn't. It's in here with us now, you know. Now, please, please. It doesn't matter. That's no use. I can't fight it any longer. There's no way to fight it. Perhaps that may be the answer, to stop fighting it. You said yourself that you felt it was fond of you, meant you no harm. Then why not stop fighting? Try to return its fondness, its love, if you will. You don't know what you're asking. Even the thought of it sickens me. Fondness, love, that thing. Perhaps it may be the only way out. Then there's no way out. I tell you, Murchison, I've only one feeling for that creature, and that's hatred. Hatred, disgust, and hatred. Please, try to be calm. Wait. Wait. What is it? Perhaps that's it. Listen. Whatever you are, beast or devil, I hate you, do you hear? I hate you! Murchison, that's doing it. It's recoiling, withdrawing, I can feel it. Julia, please. I hate you! I hate you! Murchison, it wants to leave. It's beginning to hate me, too, but it wants to leave now. Open the door. Go downstairs and open the front door. Open the front door and let it out. All right, Julia, if you'll feel better about it. It wants it. me to go along, but I, I know how to fight it now. Go, Murchison, hurry! I hate you! I hate you! I ran down the stairs and threw open the front door. I stood there, breathing in the night air. It was clear and cold, and the stars hung overhead. I looked across to the park, 
saw the glow from the street lamp falling on the empty bench directly opposite. And at that moment came a sound that froze my blood with horror. I stood there paralyzed, unable to move. Seconds passed, perhaps minutes, I don't know. I, I don't know how long I stood there. I glanced across at the empty bench, and for one moment, thought I saw a shadow sitting on it. A vague shadow as Gildeo saw it one night weeks before. And then the bench was empty, and I heard Pitting running down the stairs. Come quickly. Professor Gildia, he... It was his heart, I think. Yes. Yes, I believe it was his heart. But his... Father Murchison, he, he's lying up there now, sir. He, he's dead. Dead? Dead, Pitting? I hope so. I sincerely hope so. Escape, produced by William N. Robeson and directed by Norman MacDonald, today brought you How Love Came to Professor Gildia by Robert Hitchens, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with Louis Van Ruten as Professor Gildia, Parley Bear as Father Murchison, Harry Bartell as Pitting, and Paul Fries as the Parrot. Music was conceived by Cy Fewer with Richard Orant at the console. Next week... When the coming weekend offers little to stir the imagination, when routine inactivity stares you in the face, when you're already tired of doing nothing, we offer you escape. Next week, we bring you another exciting story of high adventure. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. situation. Behind every unopened door, there is a mystery. And the opening of this door introduces us to another in the series, the key. Barry, I want to talk to you. Come in, Vivian. Look awfully serious about something. What is it? Would you mind taking your nose out of those papers for a minute? Looking at me? Sorry, darling. I've just got into a rather naughty problem, and you know how it is. Yes, I know how it is, only too well. That's the great thing about you, Vivian. You understand. I was a fortunate man to have married you. Being married to a scientist can be quite a strain, unless the wife sets out to understand. Yes. Anyway, I won't have to neglect you much longer. Once I get over this problem, the experiment will be underway. <laughs> Vivian! My papers! What on earth's the matter with you? 
Why don't you brush them off the desk like that? What, what are you doing? At long last, I can't understand anymore. I'm sick of your papers, your problems, and your experiments. And most of all, I'm, I'm sick of you. Vivian! For the last year, this marriage you talk about has been a farce. Well, I just want you to know I've made up my mind what to do. You can marry your work. I want a divorce. I don't follow. You shouldn't have any difficulty following it. I'm always having it impressed on me that you're such a clever man. Someone of your intelligence should... should well, you should follow a simple thing easily. I, I don't want to be your wife any longer. But why? I mean, I've no idea. Of course you wouldn't. If you'd spared me one thought in the last year, I'd be amazed. What's happened these last 12 months? You've left home at 6 in the morning. You've come back at 8 or 9 at night. You've had dinner alone in here in your study. And you've worked till midnight on your infernal equations and diagrams. And then you've fallen into bed exhausted. That's happened seven nights a week for 52 weeks. And I won't stand it anymore. I can't stand it. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was getting you down. Getting me down? I'm down so low now. I... Oh, it's impossible. No one could be expected to live the sort of married life you make me lead. Well, I know I've been dreadfully busy, honey, and maybe it has seemed as though I've been over... I over... want you to come to the lawyers with me first thing in the morning. I won't ask for any more than my freedom. I don't want a settlement. I just want the opportunity to start again with some other man. One who knows how to treat a wife. But you don't realize the only reason I've been working so hard is for our future. Once I finish this thing, we'll never have to worry about money or security again. Since when has my only concern been money and security? Well, it's my main concern. I want to give you a good life, Vivian. I've been working hard to see you'll have everything you want. If this experiment comes off, and I know it will, why, I'll have every chance in the world of getting the Nobel. And once I have that, there'll be no looking back. We'll be able to buy the house you've always dreamed about, the car. You'll be able to walk into a Fifth Avenue store and buy whatever clothes take your fancy. All I've ever wanted from you is a little attention, some affection. You've had that? Well, I mean, I haven't ignored you completely. You think again. I haven't. And, well, you must realize I don't slave away because I like it. It's for oh, you. Oh, shut up. I tell you, I've had enough. I'll be ready to go to the lawyer at ten tomorrow. <laughs> Won't you both have just one more try? Compromise. Now, you, you, Barry, give away this night work, and, uh, and Vivian... You... I don't need any more advice, thank you, Alan. I've made up my mind what's uh, the best course. And if you don't want to handle the case, well, you've only to say so. Oh, I'll handle the thing if I have to, Vivian, but... Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I'm sure no one likes divorce. But the most unpleasant medicine is sometimes the best for you. Well? You've been married, what is it, five years now, six? Nearly six. Well, now, you were happy enough until a few months ago, weren't you? 
I was happy right up until last night when Vivian told me. Yes, well, now listen. Don't you think, then, that all this is, is too premature? I don't want a divorce. Vivian knows I love her. Must we go through all this again? Vivian, I don't usually ask questions like this, but as you are friends of mine, I, well, I, I'm going to stick my neck out. Is there, uh, well, some other man already? Not that it's any business of yours, Alan, but oh. no, there isn't any other man. I see. You've just uh, completely lost your love for Barry. That should be quite clear. Sure, you you couldn't have loved him very much in the first place, then, if it, uh, a few months, uh, well, dissatisfaction can make you want a divorce. You know my reason for wanting it. We've been over them half a dozen times already, and I'm, I'm not going over them anymore. Oh, that's been Vivian. Of course, the judge has to decide whether a divorce will be granted, you know. If Barry didn't want to let you go... He explained things to the court, as he's explained them to me. You, you could be ordered to try again. If any judge tries that, I'll desert Barry. So we can do it this way or wait a little longer. He still needn't divorce you for desertion, you know. If he wanted to, he could keep you married to him for the rest of your life. If you're determined to go, Vivian, I won't stop you. I've never wanted anything more than your happiness in life. And if this is the only way to give it to you... Well, when, when can we get a hearing? Oh, well, in a week or so, I guess. I'll make out the papers. Thank you, Ellen. I've made some coffee. Here. Thank you. I, um... I think I'll have mine in the kitchen. All right. Barry, I... I want you to know... I'm grateful you don't... You don't want to cause any trouble. Thank you for making things easy. There's still time to cancel the action, Vivian. I can ring Alan and tell him not to apply. He'd still be at the office. He probably wouldn't have got on the job straight away. It's, it's only two hours ago that we I saw him. I wish I could say yes, go ahead, but it wouldn't be any use. You might be able to make a go of it if we try again, but, well, I couldn't. Of course you could I'd do anything you want. When you suddenly realize your love is dead, nothing can revive it. I suppose this whole thing is my fault when it's all boiled down. I, I haven't enough strength of character or, or something. It would be far better to leave things as they are. I guess we should never have married. Anyway, there are no kids. It's one good thing. You'll find a woman who'll, oh, who'll be right for you. Might say, I'll find the right man. No. No, I'll never marry again. There's only one person I want. Larry, I'm... I'm desperately sorry. All right, Vivian. I... I guess I'll go pack my things up. I'm about to a hotel. No, I can do that. No. No, this is your house. You stay here. Okay. Barry. I'm going over to the laboratory. Things going, Frank. 
Oh, here you are. I was wondering when you'd get in, Chief. The message I got said you'd be in about 11. I got delayed. Huh? Something wrong? Yes. Sorry to hear it. Anything I can do? No. Thank you. Well, if anything does come up and I can help, just let me know. Thanks, but that won't happen. Hey, you're married, aren't you, Frank? Uh-huh. Four years. You and your wife quite happy? Sure. Does she mind all the late hours you keep? Sometimes she gets a bit snaky, but that's only natural. And she soon gets over it. She knows I just got an eye on the future, and she understands what I'm doing and why. Mm -hmm. You can tell your wife you won't be doing any more night work from now on. Hmm? There's no reason why our work should kill two married. But... Oh. My wife is divorcing me through uh, this. I won't let you run the same risk. Chief, I... Well, I guess it doesn't mean much. But I'm sorry to hear it. So am I. Switch on more power, will you, Frank? I'm going to add the B-12 mixture now. Right, Chief. Power up. Stay there. I may want more. And keep your fingers crossed. We get over this tricky bit, we're home and dry. Here goes. Cut back the power. Cut it back. There's been a mistake. Cut it off. Stay a minute. I'll have to get back to the lab and save what equipment is left. I couldn't get here sooner. After you ran, Frank, I had the devil's own job getting cab. Where is he? Where's Barry? They've just taken him away. Oh. You must have passed the ambulance and only left a minute ago. Oh, where have they taken him? To the general hospital. They couldn't do enough for him here. Oh, is he badly hurt? I'm afraid so. I was lucky. I was standing well out of the way when the thing exploded. He got the full force of it. Well... Will you die? The doctor's here. I'm very hopeful. It's a wonder he's still in one piece. His face. I'll go straight over to the general hospital. Okay. I'll have to get back now before the fireman's clock on The general hospital is quickly as you can get there. all afternoon. They wouldn't let me see you until now. Is there anyone else in the room? No. Why? I've got something to tell you. It's better if we're alone while you hear it. 
What is it? Of course, you may know already. Have the doctor said anything to you? No, I, I couldn't get anything out of him. Well, they've let me know what I can expect. It's only fair that you should know, too. For a start, I'll never be able to see it. They can operate, but the chances of success are so close to nil, they're not worth bothering about. And uh, for the second thing, I won't be out of this hospital for at least 18 months. Maybe two years, probably much longer. Oh, Barry. If and when I do get out, I'll still be rather a mess. So, so there you are. Now that that's over, I want the divorce as much as you do. <gasps> Things like this sometimes change a person's mind. I mean, you could have started to think along different lines now, but I'm thinking on different lines, too. No woman could be saddled with what's left of me. I hope the divorce will go through as we both want it, and I don't want you to come here again, Vivian. Goodbye. Good luck. I hope you make a good life for yourself somewhere else. Well, Barry, how are things? Feeling any easier? I feel all right. How are things with you, Alan? So-so. Oh. <laughs> huh? Any news about the divorce? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, that's one of the things I came to tell you about. The uh, nice I was given this morning, uh, the absolute will be available in uh, in six months. I see. Well, I'm glad she went through with it. Yes, yes. Well, she, she did have a change of mind, you know. She yes. Uh, I somehow thought she might. Uh, anyway, uh, she did what I wanted, so that's the main thing. How is she? Well, she's uh, she's not very well. What? As a matter of fact, she's, she's just become a neighbor of yours. It happened an hour ago. What happened? What do you mean? Well, she caught a cab from my office, and well, uh, there was a crash. No. no. Fortunately, it's 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 more shock than anything, as far as I can make out. Although she did suffer some injuries, but uh, from what I heard, it doesn't seem to be very serious. Vivian. Oh, how ghastly. But I don't want her coming here, Ellen. Tell her when you see her again, when she's well again, she mustn't come here to see me. Well, yes, of course, if you say so, Barry, but why not? I just don't want her anywhere near me, that's all. Yes, you still love her a lot, don't you? I love her more than anything in this world. But if she stays away from me, it won't seem so bad. Give her my regards. Tell her I hope she's up and about again soon. Yeah. Sure. Sure, Barry. I'll do that. Good morning, Professor Lester. Who are you? Your new nurse. Nurse Baxter's been detailed to other duties, and 
I've been promoted to looking after you. Oh. It's quite a promotion, too. I've never had anyone as important as you to look after. What's your name? Jane Brandt. Very well, Nurse Brandt. Welcome to the dreariest room in the hospital. I'd like to say you'll have a pleasant time working here, but I'm afraid you won't. I think Paul Baxter nearly went out of a mind trying to look after me. Oh? Well, I have a little surprise for you. She was furious at being moved. <laughs> do tell. Uh, how do you look? Uh, pardon? You'll have to describe yourself to me. I know Baxter was um, a pretty smart number. Are you in the same category? I don't really know. I'm five feet six, slim, dark hair. Uh, short or long? Short. Oh, that's a pity. I like long hair. My wife had long duck. Anyway, then, that doesn't matter. What else? Brown eyes, silly nose, a mouth that I think's too big, and well, that's about the end of it. <laughs> you sound quite human. You may stay. Thank you. Will you be staying with me for very long? I don't know. That depends. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see, speaking metaphorically. How much would you give to see you again? I don't care for that question. I'm sorry, but I had a reason for asking it. I've just been told they're going to perform another operation. To what? Over the last six months, there have been three operations, none of them successful. They were right when they told me a long time ago that I wouldn't see again. They seem to have changed their minds. What? Sir Hartley Shaw, the English surgeon, is in New York. He came here for a holiday, but he's been asked to see what he can do for you. I understand by current estimates he's the best eye man in the world. Sure, but he would cost a fortune. I, I couldn't afford it. Your firm's paying for him. Oh. oh but perhaps, perhaps I'm telling you too much. I only overheard all this. I expect they'll tell you soon, and, and when they do, for heaven's sake, act surprised. Don't let on you've heard. Do you know any more? Well, I... Tell me. Tell me everything you can. I, I want to know. Well, the only other thing I heard is that the people who worked with you have a fund going. I understand there'll be enough in it by the end of the month to get Dr. Lewis Martin for you. Lewis Martin's the best plastic surgeon in the country. That's I... what they say. Oh, but this is fantastic. Why should they do this for me? seems there are people around who like you very much, who admire you for what you are and what you've done. Now they want to do something for you. It's... Well, of course, it, it's wonderful, but, but hard to believe. A lot of people believe in you, Professor. They want to see you well again. They'll make sure you get back to where you were before. <laughs> Not much more in the paper. They just seem to be filling up the columns with a lot of nonsense these days. Do you want to hear why Hollywood's reigning movie queen eats yogurt for breakfast? <laughs> no, thank you. I didn't think you would. <laughs> and that concludes this latest news bulletin. Ah, thanks for reading the paper to me again, Jane. That's all right. I wonder how many papers I've read you since I've been on duty here. 
Seems like thousands. You know, I think I'll miss it when I can't read any more to you. When the time comes that you can read them for yourself again. You're so certain this last operation sure will do will be a success. Of course. Sure certain of it, so the rest of us should be, too. Ah, I see again. That'll be quite a day when these bandages are taken off. It'll be a great day. You've so much to look forward to now. The plastic surgery a success. The eye operation undoubtedly the same. Uh-huh. I'll be able to see and move about in a world of my own. Why do you say of your own? Uh, that's just the way it'll be. Do you still want to see her again? Your ex-wife? Uh, no, no. I don't want to see her. I, I really couldn't stand up to that, but... Do I still love her? If you'd ask me that. Oh, I'm sorry, Jane. I'm burbling on. If this final operation turns out all right, I'll get back to my work. I, I guess if I go about it in the right way, I can make that take the place of everything in time. Ready, Professor? Yes, Sir Hartley. I'm ready. When the bandages are removed, open your eyes slowly. There's nothing to worry about. You'll see. Uh-huh. Nurse, remove the bandages, please. I... Sir Hartley, oh, Please, I... the bandages. Yes. What's the matter, Jane? Too nervous. I'm sorry. I guess. find out whether you've given me an accurate description of yourself, Jane. Yes. How long does this unwinding go on? There. You can open your eyes now. Vivian. Vivian. Forgive me for tricking you like this, Barry, but it was the only way I could do it. You wouldn't have accepted my realization that I made a dreadful mistake asking you for a divorce. I cancelled the application. As soon as I left this room on that first day you were brought here, I went to Alan's office and told him not to apply for a hearing. We're still married? Yes. You understand. We all had to deceive you. Oh. Vivian. It was easy to carry out the deception. That car accident. Something happened to my vocal cords. My voice changed. And I had to work at something, so... As I was a nurse before you married me... I I wish you'd you'd told me. I I wish that... If we told you, you would have ordered me out, thinking you were doing the kindest thing for me. No. This was the only way it could be handled. Barry, I was another fool. But I think I've paid for it now. The dreadful suspense of waiting and wondering whether you'd get over this has been a ghastly punishment. But now we can start again. Oh, darling, I do love you. There'll be no more mistakes. 
only a time of making up for everything we missed. Closing door finishes a story. Next week, another key will open another door to another story. Mystery. Romance. Or adventure. All start when a door is unlocked by... The Key. Well, that's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on the Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. And if you want to drop me a line, say hello, make a suggestion, a request, a even a critique, respectfully, please feel free to email me at radioshownerd at gmail.com. I also have a YouTube page. Please check it out. Subscribe. Share. Will be highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>